Good morning, Grace Community Church. <clears throat> Hope everybody's had a great week. Uh, I've been asked to come up here and talk to you for just a couple of minutes about uh, the small group discipleship programs that we have coming up. Uh, and uh, there is a handout slash, oh, wait a minute, I gave it um, to these guys. It's right here. On the back of that is a sign-up to sign up for the small groups. So... If you've not been here long, you don't know yet that you wait till the last day to sign up. So let's go ahead and sign up for these small groups. What we're going to do over the next few weeks is uh, we're going to uh, give you a preview of uh, what the small groups are going to be. Um, first, I want to tell you a little bit about what small groups are. They're a home Bible study uh, or one on Wednesday night at the church where you can be in an interactive Bible study and you'll have the opportunity to be able to not only study the word, but to be able to comment or ask questions on the word, to be able to pray together. Uh, it says in Psalms 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. So what better could we do than study the truth of God's word and study it together and be able to grow together? And let me tell you, there's a few benefits from being in the small groups. One of the benefits is that you get fellowship with other believers. And that fellowship leads to knowing those believers better. That fellowship leads to uh, knowing how to pray for other believers, and they know how to pray for you. You get an opportunity to share. And last but not least, you get an opportunity to eat food. So <laughs> I would list that first a lot of times. So uh, I want to encourage you to uh, join one of the studies this fall. Uh, we've got some excellent teachers. Uh, I've got the opportunity to teach the book of Joshua. And the Lord has challenged me in the past couple of years to start looking more at the Old Testament. And I find the more I study the Old Testament, the more I find how it connects with the New Testament. The book of Joshua introduces the conquest stage. They've come out of the Exodus stage. They've wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And now they're taking hold of the promises that God has given them. Exodus records how God led his people out of captivity and bondage. Joshua tells us how God used Joshua to lead his people into the land of promise. You're going to meet three people at least and maybe some more, but you're going to meet Joshua whose name in Hebrew means Yahweh and whose name in the Greek means Jesus. It actually means Yahweh saves and whose name in the Greek means um, Jesus. He led Israel to a very victorious conquest. They had some bumps in the road but in the land that God had promised. Caleb is the other person that you're going to meet. He was Joshua's lifelong companion. He had a can-do attitude. He was one of the people that said, we can take them. Let's go in. It's a land of milk and honey. They're big. They're giants. They're tough, but God will give us victory. Only two out of 12 said that. Joshua was one. Caleb was the other. And for their disobedience and not going in and taking the land, they wandered around for 40 years. Um, <clears throat> ten other spies said, I don't think we can do it. And, of course, one of the more interesting ones is Rahab the harlot, how God used her to save some spies uh, and to help deliver uh, Israel into the promised land. We see miracles like the parting of water, or not parting of water, the holding back of the Jordan 
is what we see. We see miracles like the walls of Jericho falling. We see the sun standing still for an entire day. We're going to see hailstorms where God fought the battle for them. And also uh, some interesting things like uh, comments like the hornets leading the battle. You know, it's, it's just unusual things that we really need to see. Um, so what was Joshua's secret? In Joshua 1.8, uh, he knew and he followed the word of God. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and you shall, uh, that you may observe to do all that is according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. The book of Joshua is God's ultimate promise keeper. He is showing how he is faithful to us, even though we're unfaithful to him, and he delivered the promises that he made to Abraham and all the descendants uh, from that point forward uh, to Israel. As it is with us today, we have many promises that God has given us today. It says in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua knew that, and he hung on to that, and he was able to be able to take the um, children of God into the land of uh, promise and to be able to make it a conquest that was very successful. The problem Israel had a lot of times was they refused to possess the promises that God had given them. Sometimes I think that's the problem that we have. God's made us many promises. He's uh, said that he'll be with us no matter what. He's given us the opportunity to come before his throne in prayer. But the question is, are we taking possession of these promises? My encouragement to you as a church is if you've never been in a small group, sign up, get in a small group, meet some people that you don't know, get to know them intimately, look at God's word and study it to show yourself an approved workman of God. It is such a good time. It's been one of my all-time, probably greatest experiences that I've had uh, being in this fellowship. Uh, and with that said, we've got a uh, trailer uh, that we're going to play for you uh, on an upcoming movie that we've got from Crosswinds. And it's about Trauma Comes Home. Thad's going to tell you a little bit more about it. But again, I'm going to encourage you to look at the studies, find out which one that God wants you to come to, and sign up for it. Thank you. I know Van had to be looking at my notes because you're not going to believe what we're looking at in Exodus 15 today. If you've been reading ahead, you know. He just basically summarized a lot of what we're going to talk about. So 
we're just going to go home. I'll be all right. Um, I hope your heart's prepared uh, to worship the Lord. We're going to see this trailer in a minute. I just want to make mention of the fact we're going to be showing a couple of movies in the next few weeks. The first one is Trauma Comes Home, and um, we will see, hopefully see that trailer in just a moment. But it'll be the 20th of this month. It'll be uh, at 6 o'clock on Sunday night. And uh, at 5 o'clock uh, that night, we'll open the building. And if you wanted to come, fellowship, bring, bring something to eat, something for me to eat. That'd be great. We can sit and fellowship together. But you know, I think fellowship's really important. As we saw last week, what a great time of fellowship that we enjoyed together. Thank everybody who, who made that possible. Um, those ladies in the office are just absolutely amazing at the things they do. We really, really appreciate them for what they do. And um, there were several people that um, set up. I felt like somebody was moving my mouth in a different direction. But uh, uh, there were several people that set up the shakes and, and had root beer floats and all that kind of thing. And at one point I had one of the ladies come and say, Thad, we're going to kill you. But they, did, they said it in love. And um, we're going to have shakes the next time we have fellowship, too. But um, it's just a great time of fellowship. But the 20th, that night at 5 o'clock, we will open up the building, and you can bring supper and fellowship together, and then we'll show the movie at 6 o'clock. So let's go ahead and watch uh, this uh, preview to uh, Trauma Comes Home. I think I was four or five. I remember waking up because I heard the gunshot and then looking out the window and seeing all the police and fire trucks and ambulances. And then that's when it finally hit me that he did that. For the next three years, every time Ron tried to kill himself, I saved, um, I saved a round and I put it in my sock drawer um, because I don't, I don't really know why, but I think I kind of needed to remind myself that I was helping and not hurting him more. So I did that to like, just let myself see, look, he could have been dead this many times over. I had just gotten back from a trip down to North Carolina, business trip, and just that night I sat in my truck and I, I always carry a gun and I put it to my head and I thought of her and I thought of her son. Suicide is more than leaving skeletons in the closet. It's leaving a legacy of great unspeakable pain. And my sisters had put a, uh, a sheet up, up to welcome home Eddie <laughs> it said. And, uh, Something happened, someone asked me a, an awkward question. Someone said, did you, did you kill anybody while you were there? And that just uh, triggered something in me. So sometimes, um, you know, I think we kind of push him, push my brother into trying some of these things that we think, oh my gosh, this would be so good for you to open up and talk about. But what we're doing is slicing open a wound. I mean, for a long time, I couldn't blow dry my hair in the bathroom when he was in there because he would smell burnt hair. But it would trigger something in him, you know? I mean, I don't want to be associated 
by blow drying my hair to picking up the burnt remains of someone. Training uh, to go to war, uh, for me, uh, is nowhere near as difficult as preparing to come home and deal with the unknown. Because at the end of the day, it's all about family and faith, nothing else. sure appreciate um, those men and women who've fought over the years for our freedom and uh, they come home and, and a lot of them do experience trauma and traumatic things and um, honestly quite honestly the church I don't think knows how to respond sometimes right I don't think we know how to but certainly we can love people with the love of Christ and give them the truth of the gospel because at the end of the day all that matters is the person knows Christ that's what does matter I wanted to kind of prepare, hopefully help prepare your hearts this morning for what we'll look at. Uh, I'm very, very excited about this morning and what God has shown uh, me through his word. And I want to, you to take your Bible and go to Psalm 115. I want to read this passage. We won't allude to it during the message, but I think it's very appropriate that we would read this as we prepare our minds for what the Lord may show us today as it relates to the subject of worship. And how we approach the Lord. It's very important that we would think about that on a daily basis of how we approach Him. And um, I would like for you to stand as we um, read this section, uh, chapter 115 of Psalm. Uh, yeah, chapter 115 of Psalm. Uh, let's look at this together. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. O oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. The small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. 
praise the Lord. And all God's people said, let's pray together. Father, we have just a few moments this morning that we are going to be together. And in those moments that we have together, I want to pray that you are honored. That it's no man that is lifted up, but that there is only one that we recognize as King of kings and Lord of lords. If we're not ready yet, I pray you would help us to be ready to worship. Because this is not just an activity in our day. It's an opportunity in our day to be with the people of God and worship together the only true God. And so I pray that we are ready for that. And if we're not, that your spirit would make us ready And for those today that may not know the Lord Jesus, we pray that today salvation might come. We pray all this in the precious and wonderful name of the Lord. Amen. Let's remain standing. and Let's take our time together that we have this morning and let's worship the Lord. Let's ask him to come, thou almighty king. Let's sing together, may we? Come thou almighty King, help us thy name to sing, help us to praise, Father all glorious, or all victorious, come and reign over us, ancient of
time to shout to the Lord our praises, my Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there is none like you. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none
sing of our Redeemer. Let's sing together. I will sing it. Sing of my Redeemer and his precious love for us. Continue to worship together. Listen. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set people said amen. amen thank you. you may be seated yeah we sing of our redeemer and his wondrous love to us we know the redeemer we have we know him personally he has come into our lives he has let his spirit indwell us so where we can come together as a body of believers we can grow together in discipleship groups we can come together and study God's word we can pray we can come and we can worship. But what about those outside the doors? Those people that are out there and they don't realize that they have a Redeemer. We want to shout that as a body of believers. We want to get on the mountaintops and shout it. And what do we want to shout? We want to shout that Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. I have heard, I read this last week. Another thing was very interesting. He says that, you know, most of the time we say that uh, there's only one, one road that leads to God. If somebody said all roads lead to God, we'd say that's not true. But you know that is true. All roads lead to God because every person is going to stand before the Lord one day. He's going to stand before the Lord. All roads are going to lead to them. But only those who have come into the knowledge of Christ and have him as their personal Savior will stand before the Lord as their Savior and not their judge. What a wonderful God that we serve. He has made this available to us. Not for what we have done, but for what he has done on the cross. And we want to shout out, yes, Jesus saves. I want you to listen to the choir. And we've sung this so many times. Folks, y'all know the song. Sing along with us, Jesus saves.
Let's pray. Lord, you tell us in your book that there's only one name in all of heaven that can save. And that name is Jesus. You tell us that the very word means he saves. You created us with choice the ability to choose by faith whether Jesus would save us or not. And in your wisdom, you determined that nothing we could do in this creation would be worthy of that salvation. Instead, you chose an abstract thing, faith, to determine our eternal destiny. And so, those of us who have chosen Christ's salvation seek to spread your word that it is Christ who saves and there is no other way for eternity with you. We pray for those today who have not recognized him as their salvation. That you might use us as your instruments to tell them if they have never heard before 
or tell them again, if they have, that Christ is the only way. We pray that we might be faithful to your word, that our actions and deeds in this life would not be distractions to others, that we might truly become more Christ-like as we desire to grow closer to him in our relationship. Help us to be effective ministers in his name. Help us to recognize the glory that he deserves as King of kings and Lord of lords. These are things that we cannot do on our own. So we ask that your spirit might empower us that we can accomplish your will. All these things we ask in the glorious name of Christ. Amen. You have a song in your heart. Is there a song in your heart today? And the Bible encourages in Ephesians 5 that we should have a song in our heart. It should be that all of us who are in Christ every single day have the privilege to sing to the one who bought us, who paid for us, uh, in whom we stand. And I trust today that we don't, we don't just sing songs, but that we think through what we sing so that indeed we are examining whether or not the glory is going to man or to God. That does matter. Someone asked me before church or made mention, kind of pointing out my jacket, said that, I like your jacket. Um, it would look better if it was red. <laughs> and I agreed. It would look better if it was red with a big hog right here. I wanted to make mention this morning before we uh, get into our message, uh, just a reminder about two things. One is Bible Institute um, had had quite a um, response to this point and uh, really excited about the opportunity to teach um, the Bible and how to kind of approach that. And uh, we've had a really, really good response and praying for more response. And uh, if you are wanting to sign up for that, uh, there are sign-up sheets out in the foyer for you to consider uh, coming to uh, learn how to study the Bible. And uh, we will go from August 22nd until October the 17th, and then we'll start a new semester in January. And uh, we'll see how many last until January. But I, I trust that uh, you'll pray about that opportunity to, uh, to learn how to study the second thing that I wanted to make mention of is our Sun Life uh, will be um, this coming Saturday from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock, and it is um, something I learned years and years ago, and it's a philosophy of ministry. It's built around the life of Christ, and I think every single person in this room would benefit, but if you're leading a ministry or involved with a ministry, I know you would really benefit from kind of taking a look at some of the foundational principles as it relates to uh, ministering to people because it's very, very important that the mindset of ministering to people not be about us. The foundation is not us. The foundation is Christ. 
It's his word. It's the things that he set forth. And what's so beautiful about it is he set it forth when he was leading his own disciples. And so it's not something we have to make up or manufacture. It's right there in the word of God. So hopefully uh, Saturday morning uh, we will have some that will come here at 9 o'clock. We'll offer you breakfast when you come. There will not be lunch unless you buy it. So, um, uh, but we do encourage you to come. I really think it'll be an encouragement to you. At least I hope that it will be. I'm very excited to present this morning because the Lord is just so impressed on my heart and mind just how important it is for us to examine what we sing. I don't know how much you've really thought about that. If you're not a musician or necessarily a person who's bent towards singing in a choir or singing praise and, and, and worship music, I'm not quite sure. You may be more like me and have had to learn over the years as you approach a song, what is this song truly saying? You know, what's the message of the song? It might have a nice tune. It might have a great beat. You might you know, get into that. And the next thing you know, you're like, what is this being said? And, and sometimes, you know, when we approach music, um, maybe we're not as careful as we ought to be. Can I say that? Uh, and I hope that doesn't offend you per se, but I think we ought to be really, really careful in how we approach it. I know that's what the Lord has kind of taught me through this, that I need to be very, very careful as to what I say and sing about the Lord. And so it's got nothing to do with beat. I like a beat. I, if I could play the drums, I'd play the drums, but I can't play the drums. Um, if I could play a guitar, I'd play a guitar, but I can't play a guitar. It's got nothing to do with the instruments. It's unfortunate our culture's made that the central focus because it's really not the central focus. The central focus is what is said about the Lord. Everybody has a preference when it comes to music. I learned that years and years ago. And everybody's preference, guess what, is a little bit different. Um, and that's just the truth. We, we are uh, pretty blessed here at Grace that we have such a mixture. We have a choir. We have praise teams. Um, everybody seems to get along. I don't see people throwing things at each other. So that's always nice. Um, and as we learned last time, um, when we sing to the Lord, it's celebration, right? It's celebration. We learned some Hebrew words together, and we learned that it's okay to extend our hands to the Lord. Um, it's okay to celebrate and shout to the Lord. I mean, we just sang a song, shout to the Lord, right? And we want to do that. We want to do that in a way that honors him, not out of control. Worship's never to be out of control. Worship's never to be about man. And worship's never to be thought of as just singing. Worship is so, so much more than just singing. But what we're running to in Exodus chapter 15 is a song. We talked about last time that maybe even Moses had written this song. And we, we took a look at that. But I want to read just Exodus 15 because I don't want to have to keep coming back to every single verse. I don't know if you can appreciate that, but when you're teaching... Some of the things that you want to say, you want to say as you're moving along, and you feel sometimes pressure to go back and reread the verse. Well, I don't want to have that pressure to go back and reread a verse unless the Spirit wants me to go back and reread a verse, and then I will do that. But I want us to look at this song and just read it together, and then we'll just do a little bit of review and then go into our last two points as we look into this song uh, together together. In Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the sons of 
Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. This is my father's God and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army is cast into the sea. And the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing water stood up like a heap. Which goes back to chapter 14. Where the Bible tells us in chapter 14 and verse 21 that Moses stretched out his hands over the sea and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night long. The blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up, the flowing water stood up like a heap, the deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. Now notice this, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw up my sword. My hand will destroy them. That's what the enemy said. Look at verse 10. You blew with your wind. <laughs> the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them into your holy habitation. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread will fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. They are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, Mount Zion, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. What a song. Have you ever sat down to write a song? Have you ever done that? Any of you been that advantageous as to say, I'm going to write a song? Have you ever done that? I've done that, actually, written a poem or two, I'm not going to show them to you necessarily, but I've done that. I love music. I love to listen to music. I love to respond when they were singing one of the hymns this morning. There's a bottom line that only the men sing, and I was singing it because I just love the song. 
Uh, I love to listen to songs. I, I love to hear them. I would say that probably measuring the song has been something only in the last several years have I really truly considered how important that is, that one would measure what is being said about the Lord. You know, singing is a part of worship. It's not the whole of worship, but it's certainly a big part. In our culture, it's a pretty big part. In fact, you know, you could go to some churches and you might spend 45 minutes singing. That is the truth. I've been um, to Belize and I've heard those people sing down there for almost an hour. There's nothing wrong with all that. Singing to the Lord is a wonderful thing, but it's what we sing that's the issue. And as we kind of break this down today and look at one of the uh, threads of worship being a song, I want to remind you about just some, some things that we've discussed. I wanted to begin with a quote by John MacArthur. I've been to uh, several of his conferences over the years, and uh, he has a guy that leads, I can't remember his name right now, but leads worship, has done a tremendous job over the years. One of the things I really, really appreciated about him in the times I went to his conferences um, was just the emphasis put on the Lord. It was just all about the Lord. And they had a tremendous orchestra. They had all the, you know, everything you could think of. Ron would just be probably slobbering because of all the different things going on there on the stage. But it's like none of it was about man. It was about the Lord. And that was just really great to me because, you know, in some churches there's an emphasis too much on man. But anyway, MacArthur wrote this about worship. He said, worship is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is. Through our attitudes, actions, thoughts, and words based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself. That's something we don't need to lose sight of. He has revealed himself to us through his word we have on paper who God is. And so when we sing, we sing about the faithfulness of God, right? We sing about the love of God, the mercy of God, all those things given to us through his word. As a great, great example. I thought a great thought to, to begin with. I wanted to remind us of the definition we looked at last time, that worship means to attribute value or ascribe worth to a person or an object. You remember I used my Troy Aikman rookie card as an example of an object that I valued, it's still in the box even today. But um, it's, it's something that I did value. It was very valuable to me at one time, not so much anymore. Isn't it interesting that, and this is a side subject, what we value as we get older, it really has nothing to do with objects, does it? It's more and more people. It's more and more our family. It's more and more our friends. And it's much, much more the Lord. We value the Lord more as we get older in the Lord, at least that's been my experience as I'm continuing to grow as a believer. So the word worship itself means to attribute value or worth to someone or to an object. Now what we've done from in looking at this uh, chapter together is we're kind of looking at how this song is broken down. And we started by saying that worship is responding to the Lord. This is what we see. And we saw that just from that one little word, then. Because it takes us back to what led the children of Israel to the point of being at the Red Sea when the Lord parted the sea so that his people could walk across. And so we went back and we looked at all of that, that God led them to that point. They were, and this is very important here, they were cornered, so to speak, but God had it the whole time. Did you hear that? 
You, you ever been like that in your life where you feel cornered, you feel like you're pushed back and like you're looking around and all you can see is obstacles? And what do we have to be reminded of? God is faithful. He's faithful, right? He's going to do things that we can't even imagine at times. He's parted the sea for us in our lives how many times? Many, many times, all right? And so this is the response that Moses and the children of Israel have, and that's what we have before. So responding to the Lord, how we respond to him, and we, I want to make this comment. I don't think I made it last time. Our response to the Lord is not something that we do just once a week. If it is, that's sad. Our response to the Lord should actually be daily and probably several times during the day. Can we agree on that? It sounds right, doesn't it? That I would respond to the Lord on a regular basis. God does so much for Thad Blunt. He's always faithful. I have to be honest and say I'm not always faithful to return and say, Lord, thank you. Y'all pray for me and I'll pray for you. Responding to the Lord should be a normal activity in the life of a believer. We see it here on the part of Israel and Moses. And then we saw, secondly, in the song that that this song focuses on the Lord. There's a focus on Him. And so when we come and and whether we're playing a guitar or sitting at a piano or singing a song, whatever it is, we want to focus on the Lord. One of the greatest concerts ever attended was a Michael Card concert. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Michael Card, and <laughs> kind of dates me a little bit. But um, as you think, I went to a, a Lancaster Bible College, and he was there years ago. And uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about listening to him was that every, I mean, he played the guitar, he's singing, but man, all throughout, all throughout the time that he's singing, he's got his Bible open and he's reading Scripture. I was just like, yeah. I'm not saying it has to be done that like that, but yeah. I mean, it just so moved me that he was always considering the Lord. That's where his focal point was. And I think we can be encouraged by that, don't you? That, that we would have that focus. And you see that right in these verses. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. That's the focus of Israel and Moses. After they've crossed the Red Sea, they're grateful. And remember the pattern of these folks, don't we? Do we have to be reminded of the pattern of these guys? They're grateful, they're not. They're grateful, they're not. They're grateful, they're not, right? It's like, man, those sorry people. We're like that too, aren't we? Grateful, we're not. Grateful, it's like, I don't know about you guys, but I can relate to that. I'll say this, though, is that I get older in the Lord. Um, I hope this is heard right. I am more grateful than I used to be. Uh, every single day that I have life, I'm thankful. Um, God is so, so good. Well, all right, I'll get off into another subject if I'm not careful. You know how preachers are. So the second thing we see here in the song is the focus that they had on the Lord. The third thing that I see, and you guys would maybe outline it a little different, but I see in this song them separating the Lord. The Lord is like no one else. Okay? Egypt had over 2,000 gods. Not one of them was the living God. Not one. Think about this. We serve the living God. 
Moses and Israel separated the Lord in this song, in the language of the song. Look in verse 11. Look what it says. Who is like you among the gods? Among all those gods that they experienced, by the way, in that culture, being in Egypt, they would be able to sing this. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? In other words, hey, there's no one like you. And then he outlines it. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. Hey, there is no one like the Lord. You know, what's interesting is the way that he makes that known in the song. Because he points out some things about God that I think are really, really critical. And um, I'm going to just give you a a little bit of a, a word study just real quick. I think you'll appreciate it. Hopefully you will. Um... We know that God is spirit, correct? And sometimes when we come to the Bible, we, we see where his, he, there's a description of his arm or, or, or his leg or, or his breath or whatever. We're like, hold on a second. I thought God is spirit. Well, in the Bible, there are these things called anthropomorphisms. You like that? And say that five times in a row. That's pretty difficult to do. Basically, it's very simple. It's the assignment of human characteristics to God. It just brings it out, right? It's, it's right in front of us. It's this big, long word, but that's the short definition. And here in the book of Exodus, I want you to see just with me. We've already read it, but look at these anthropomorphisms that are designated about God. Your right hand is majestic in power. That's the visual here that we have. And by the way, the right hand of God is mentioned several times in the Bible, if you just look that up, you're going to see that that's a place, uh, an arm of authority and a position of authority. You remember where Christ sits? Where does Christ sit? At the right hand of the Father. So your right hand, they say, is majestic in power. Your right hand shatters the enemy. I love this one. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. You blew with your wind. You stretched out your right hand. How would that have been to have a front row seat? You ever thought about that? What would it have been like to have a front row seat to those waters being parted? What would it have been like in the life of Christ to have that front row seat to see Jesus calm the waters? Right? To heal the blind. Right? What would that have been like? Without that, I wish I would have lived then. You know what, guys? We didn't need to live then. We can look at creation and we can go, wow, God, you're an amazing God. I mean, have you ever stood out in the dead of night, someplace that's really, really dark, and looked up and seen all the stars and you're like, whoa. Or been like swimming. I wouldn't necessarily encourage going to the beach these days. Doesn't sound real safe, but... You ever been in the ocean and and seen fish and gone, whoa, have I limited my God? There is no one like my God. I don't have to have those. I'm glad I do. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad I have these stories to look at, these real life things. But I look at all the things that God does in my life and has done in my life. It's 51 years as a Christian. I go, God, you're an amazing God. You're an amazing God. And that's exactly what's going on here. In the description in Exodus 15, as Moses and the children of Israel are singing to the Lord. 
they're singing about the fact that he is separate, that there is no one like God. We read that today, if you were listening in Psalm 115, as he's contrasting these idols from the real and living God. How many hours have been spent building idols made of wood or stone that have no personality, that have no life? They're meaningless. And yet people trust in them. I've been to Thailand. I've seen, I know. It broke my heart. I'm like, I wanted to go up to these folks and say, hey, that's just this little stone over here. Like, let me introduce you to the living God. And wow, I look at what the Lord did for Moses and the children of Israel over and over again, reminding these guys, I am God. I'm who you need. Well, do you know, in separating out the Lord, there's other passages of Scripture that do that. And I've asked a couple of guys to read some Scripture this morning. Um, they're not going to come up here. Don't worry, I've planned all this out. Um, the first one that's going to read in just a moment is Patrick Rosno when I tell him to. Um, but in 2 Samuel um, chapter 7, after the Davidic covenant is given... The words that are used in chapter 7, verses 22 through 24, separate the Lord out. They single on the Lord. So, Patrick, would you read those verses for us, please? Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you. According to all that you have heard, with all, according to all that we have heard with our ears, and who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established yourself, your people Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. Yeah, there's a lot there. He separated out Israel, his people, forever. Are you listening to me? Israel will return to the land. They already are doing that. And one day there will be a literal thousand-year period of time where Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David and rule for 1,000 years. All that goes back to the promises made in the Old Testament that will be fulfilled. That is the truth. But in that section of Scripture you hear... There is no one like the Lord. There's no one like him. Listen, he is a faithful God. He is a God that for us, we look at, and, wow, Lord, you're past finding out. There is no one like you. That's the way it's described in 2 Samuel. Then Bruce Grubbs is going to read for us Psalm 89, verses 5 through 8, in which the psalmist declares the same thing. He separates the Lord out. Listen to this. And the heavens will praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord, a God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him? O Lord God of hosts, who is like thee, O mighty Lord? Thy faithfulness also surrounds thee. What do you hear over and over again in those two passages? 
who is like the Lord? Let me ask you, who's like the Lord? No one's like the Lord. So why would we go anywhere else when we're in trouble? Who's like the Lord? He's the one that can help you and help me just like he did the children of Israel. So I want you to think about this as an exercise in separating the Lord from every other God that has ever been named. What would you say about the Lord God? What would you say? What would you write down? What would you begin your song with? Well, I thought, well, if I'm going to give you that assignment, I'm going to have to do it myself. And separating the Lord, what would I say? Here it is. The Lord's saving grace is amazing. Are you in awe of the saving grace of God? The favor of God? Steve talked about it. You know, when a person comes to faith in Christ, you know who gets the glory? God does. Because there is only one that is righteous. Who is that? Christ. And so when you get saved, when you believe what happens, you are immediately covered with the righteousness of Christ and God gets the glory. If salvation was by works, who would receive the glory? Man would. But man doesn't receive the glory. It's God who receives the glory. I would start with the Lord's saving grace and I would go to the Lord's forgiveness. I just put his distinct. I think I put that because you and I both needed the forgiveness of someone in our life. And we've needed to ask for forgiveness, right? We need to receive it. We need to ask for it. It doesn't always work out like we think, does it? Right? We, we look at the Lord and his forgiveness is amazing. The Bible tells us he's removed our sins as far as what the east is from the west. He's cast our sins into the depths of the sea to be what? Remembered no more. When I think about a song about the Lord, I think about His grace, I think about His forgiveness, I think about His faithfulness. His faithfulness is everlasting. It's an everlasting faithfulness. Just like Patrick read, His faithfulness to His people, it's real. He's faithful to Israel. He's faithful to His church. Which leads us to the last point that um, Moses and Israel make in this particular song and they recognize the Lord's faithfulness. That's what he does. In singing the song, they recognize the faithfulness of God. Look in verses 13 and verse 17. Verse 13, he says, In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. So in your loving kindness, you have led the people who you've purchased. He purchased a people. He purchased Israel. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. So, verse 13 speaks of the faithfulness of God to Israel, to a people that he had redeemed. Verse 17, same thing, look at this. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. That was going to be yet future that that would take place. Right? In Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary. Some theologians believe he's talking about the temple. It, the, the point is that he's bringing them, bringing them as a people to his presence. 
O Lord, which your hands have established. So you look at this and and you think about what we know to be the rest of the story. What about the faithfulness of God? Well, it's interesting in this song we see the impact of God's faithfulness. This is an amazing point. The impact of God's faithfulness in the lives of Israel. You say, did it make a difference? And the answer is an absolute resounding yes. Look at this. Here it is. In the song, they sing this. We're going to talk about, in just a moment, the things that took place. Because as you read the song, you go, hold on a second. As they're singing, these events that, he, that they're writing about are yet future, and yet God lays out the path for them. Now, it doesn't happen like we think. There's some, I guess, curveballs or side roads. But look at this. This is what happened. Right? The peoples, he says, have heard... They tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. What in the world are they talking about? By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone until your presence, uh, excuse me, until your people pass over. Oh, Lord, until they come into the promised land. That's the idea. So as you look at these words, right, in these verses, you have to ask the question, well, what happened to Israel? You know, because there's a lot of activity here that's mentioned that was yet future as we see it here in Exodus. So what happened with God's people? Was there really a time where there was terror and dread? And people melted away at the thought of what God did? Well, the answer is yeah. Do you remember that subsequent to this, you have 12 spies that are sent out? What are they sent out to do? Spy out the land. You remember the reaction of the 12? 10 come back and they say, nope, we can't do this. Man, we're grasshoppers in the land. This ain't happening. Right? That's just a fad, blunt summary. We can't do it. Two come back. Remember their names? Joshua and Caleb. They're like, yeah, we can. We're good to go. Well, then what happens? You remember what happens after that? Well, just if you need a reminder, go back to Numbers 13. Look with me in the Bible. Look what it says. Numbers chapter 13. You got the spies, they give the report. Ten say, nope, can't do it. Caleb quiets the people, verse 30 of chapter 13. (laughs) I love the way this is read. Listen to what he said. We should by all means go up and take possession of it. For we will surely overcome it. We're good to go. Well, then all the people got together and decided to believe. Is that what happened? It's not what happened. In fact, chapter 14 records that the people rebelled. It says, then all the congregation, verse 1, lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Don't you just love these people? And the whole congregation said to them, 
would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. <laughs> it says that Joshua and Caleb, who spied out the land, who said, let's go, what did they do? They tore their clothes. So you go, well, where's all this trembling and terror and dread? Well, we know the song is true. What, what in the world are they referring to that would come about? Well, the Bible tells us that in Numbers 32, if you keep going, as a result of Israel's unbelief we know that Moses does not enter the promised land we know that to be the case but Numbers chapter 32 records for us in verse 11 look what it says none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for they did not follow me fully. Who would be the exceptions to that Joshua and Caleb? So that where's this melting away that is being sung by these folks? Well, my brother Van this morning read... I'm thankful we didn't read that part. But as, he, as we come to Joshua chapter 2, all right, we know all of those now who would not enter the land, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. But we know the story in Joshua 2 that two spies are sent by Joshua to go view the land, especially what? Jericho. So we know these spies come. It was told, verse 2 of Joshua chapter 2, the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And with that, we know that they're in a home of who? Rahab. And what do we know? That Rahab hides them, verse 6 says. She brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of the flax which she had laid in order on the roof. And so the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now look at this. Here it is. You've got to go all the way down the road. Because remember, the ones that came out of Egypt ended up doing what? Roaming around in the wilderness. What was right in front of them? The promised land. Two said, yeah. Ten said, no. Jardy has it. Can't do it. They roam around in the wilderness. Where's all this terror and dread that Moses and them are singing about? 
Did it really come to pass? Oh, yeah, it did. Look at this. Look what Rahab says. Now, before they lay down, verse 8 of Joshua 2, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, now listen to this. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Oh. And that the terror of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. Oh. Oh, don't we see that in the song? Yeah, we do. You know, guys, when I read that, when I was going through all this, I'm like, man, Lord, your word's just true. What you say is true. That generation that came out of Egypt, they didn't experience it. Most of them. (laughs) But that didn't mean that people had not heard about the things of God and what he did. Look at this. Before they lay down, she came up to him on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard, now listen to this, we have heard, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. Oh, that's been a while. It's been a couple of minutes ago. Hey, we heard about that. Listen to me. We can't tell our kids and our grandkids enough about the things of the Lord. People say, oh, kids don't have an appetite for the things of the Lord, these stories that are told anymore. We have to dress them up and make them sound good. 21st century good. So they'll want to listen. We've got to plug in the videos. We've got to do all those things because this just isn't enough. Baloney. This is enough. It's the Word of God. I don't need to go to an ark in Kentucky to believe there was an ark. I'm not ditching the ark in Kentucky. I'm just being honest with you. I don't have to do that. I've got this book that tells me about the ark. And tells me about the amazing God that I serve. I don't have to go to Israel to believe. I believe. Sunday school teachers, keep teaching it. Youth leaders, I want to encourage you. Keep opening your Bibles. You know the discipline that's lost today in a lot of churches is open in the Bible. Listen, I put up stuff on the screen and I get, you know, I get, by the way, I get mixed reviews. Did you know that? There are mixed reviews. That I like when you do the PowerPoint. That I don't like when you do the PowerPoint. That I like when you do notes. That I don't like when you do notes. Thank you. <laughs> you know what I like to do most? Open this book. i just being honest with you. I don't need any of these notes. I could care less about having notes. I look at this. Hey, look. Is it nice to show kids pictures? Sure. Is it fine to show a video? Fine. You want to show it? Fine. This book's alive. We don't make it alive. Are you listening to me? It is alive. It's good stuff. 
So we can't tell these things enough. And I look at Rahab. I mean, who would have picked Rahab out? God did. I told Vanna I'd be 1 o'clock today. It, I'm not really. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen to this. Because remember, this song that they're singing, these things are yet future that we're looking at. Dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you utterly destroyed. Now look at this. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you for the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. He is God. And I read that and I say, praise the Lord. The faithfulness of my God to his people. Did they have a lot to sing about that day? Oh, yeah, they did. They saw the salvation of the Lord that day when they crossed over that sea, what it must have been like. I mean, we know as we read further in chapter 15, the Bible tells us in 20, that the prophetess Aaron's sister took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he is hurled into the sea. Listen, there's celebration going on. And then there's grumbling. And there's a pattern celebration and grumbling and celebration and grumbling and celebration and grumbling. It's a horrific pattern. Do you know that the Lord is not done with Israel? Can I just show you one thing before we get done? I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Israel sang a song with Moses that day. You know, there's another song coming for Israel. And you know, there's a song coming for the church. And I thought, well, you know what, Lord? This is the way you wanted me to end. I don't know why, but I'm going to end it this way because that's what you want me to do. But in chapter 11 of Isaiah, this is a description of a time that's coming in which the Bible tells us, I don't have time to read all of this, but the Bible tells us that the Lord will come to the earth, look at verse 4 of chapter 11, with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. You've heard about that, right? That the Lord will come and he'll rule with a rod of iron. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Look at verse 6. Now I want to ask you a question. Has any of this happened yet? The wolf will dwell with the lamb. Not happened yet. Anybody seen that? Hadn't seen it. And the leopard will lie down with the goat. That isn't lasting long if those two lie together, right? The calf and the young lion and the fat lean together and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like ox. 
The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. Nope, none of that. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day, listen to this, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for his peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Whose resting place? The Lord's. And the Bible tells us that he's going to part a highway for his people in verse 16. Notice what it says. There will be a highway from Assyria from the remnant of his people who will be left just as there was for Israel. Look at this. In the day they come at, came out of the land of Egypt. And then here it is. Here's, here's the thanksgiving expressed. Then you will say, here comes that song, guys. And it's going to be as the millennial kingdoms ushered in. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and what? Song. He has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And all three, listen, I started rereading again this week the book of Isaiah. God made promises to his people, and he will fulfill those promises. And he will sit on the throne of David and he will rule for 1,000 years. Listen, as they come into that time, the Bible tells us here in Isaiah, they're going to sing to the Lord. You know where they're going to do that? On earth. I'm going to close with this. I appreciate you being patient with me. I want to close with this. There's another song coming, except it's for a different people in a different place. See, Israel's got a song they're going to sing on earth. The church has a song they're going to sing in heaven. Now listen to me. If you want a way to remember the distinction between Israel and the church, there's lots of things there. Israel is looking for a literal thousand-year kingdom on earth and for a king. You know what the church is looking for? Heaven. Heaven. And that's what we're looking for. Man, we've got to keep those things distinct. I wish I had five hours with you today. Listen to this, Revelation chapter 19. You can just listen, or you can turn if you want to. Revelation 19, beautiful picture of Jesus Christ coming with his saints, which are us, right? The church. It says, after these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And the second time they said, Hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Look at this. And a voice came from the throne. 
Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants. You who fear him, the small and the great. That's us. And then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, here it is, hallelujah for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Don't we sing a song like that? We're just rehearsing for that time. Listen to me. God, faithful to Israel. God, faithful to his church. There should be many songs in our heart to the Lord today. For there is no one like him. He is God and God alone. Well, I could talk to you for another 50 minutes. We don't have a closing song today, and that's probably appropriate because I needed the time. Can I just encourage you to pull out your hymnal? Oh, we don't have them. (laughs) Do you know, this dates me, but I'm okay with it because I feel young, right? When I was a kid, one of the songs that we sang all the time was standing on the promises. You're waiting for me to sing it. I'm not going to do it. But listen to the words. Just the first verse, ready? Well, maybe not just the first. Listen. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will what? Shout and sing. Standing. On the promises of God. Well, I love you. Thank you for being patient and listening today. Let's pray together. Lord, how can we say thanks for all that you've done for us? Lord, there's just so much that we can think through in our own lives and as we just took a brief moment, it seemed like today, to look at your faithfulness to Israel and looking at how they separated you out from every other God, I pray that you would help us in our worship of you every day to separate you out, to focus on your faithfulness, to recall the faithfulness of our God. Help us to be people who don't limit our worship of you to songs. And don't limit our worship of you to a Sunday, to a point in time, but that every single day we would go out singing the praises of the one that we can trust, and that is God and God alone. Help us to stand on the promises of your word. Today we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. It's good to see you today. I hope you have a blessed day. Speak to somebody before you leave.